Amen. All right, we can get your worship guys out, and uh, this is where we really encourage note-taking. Um, I was actually praying for people at the end of service, and they were still taking notes because there's just a lot of stuff in here that is very practical. Uh, this is a very practical message, and um, this is going to be the culmination of our series, David the Warrior King, and all God's people said, ah, oh. because it's the end of the series. Isn't that sad? I'm sad because I've really enjoyed uh, studying David, and I'm going to continue kind of packing messages away for the future. Uh, David is the most talked about biblical character in the Bible next to Jesus. 66 chapters in the Bible talk about David. He is, he is a popular personality in the church, and there's just a ton to talk about uh, with regards to David. And, but this particular message, I was going to do something else. I was going to talk about legacy and kind of the end of his life, and then I felt like I needed to steer the direction after some prayer, and, and it's because, I, I, you know, I wanted to help you with something that I think we all wrestle with, and that is knowing, interpreting, and discerning God's will for your life. Does that sound relevant to anybody out there? Like, how do I know this is God? In other words, people sometimes come to me, or, or, or you may go to other people with questions when you're trying to figure out what God is saying to you, and, and is this his will? And uh, we know there's something inside of us that wants to know his will, wants to please him. We know that we'll be happier, things will be more fulfilling if we're doing his will, but a lot of times we struggle with that, don't we? And so I think it kind of comes into different categories, like sometimes we... We have, we're at an impasse, and we just want to know which way to go. Do I go right? Do I go left? Like, I don't know. I don't know how to interpret. The, the truth is not always clear to you and to me. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, you've probably been in a situation. Is this, is this, do I go now, or do I, do I wait upon the Lord? Do I step out in faith? And I need to know. So sometimes it falls into that category. I don't know. The second category that sometimes it falls in when it comes to discerning God's will is, I do know, but I'm not going to do it. That's funny. I don't care what you say because we need to laugh at that. Because We're not laughing probably because we know that's happened to us sometimes. In other words, God has made it crystal clear what we're supposed to do. We just don't want to do it. You know, and, and so we, sometimes we resist what the Spirit of God is saying. Sometimes it's crystal clear, and, and that's the problem. It's clear, and I don't want, that's not... That's not what I want to do. That's not what I plan to do. And, and it, so I'm just, I'm just not going to do it. And so our will, a lot of times, is superimposed on God's will. And God will not short-circuit, circumvent, um, uh, force you to do something. He gave you free will agency. It's the most powerful muscle in your soul. Free will. He won't force you to worship him. He won't force you to follow him. And he certainly won't force you to do his will. And so this is a, this is a situation where he's, he's given us this, this, this choice thing, this decider thing, this, this free will agency. Sometimes I wish he didn't. Like life would have gone a lot easier for me if he just made me do it. Just tell me what you want to do and then make me do it. But it doesn't go like that because he doesn't want automatons that get up every day and drop to their knees and bow down. And he wants people that choose him because he wants a relationship with us that comes and stems from the heart that he gave us. Amen. And then the third thing is, is sometimes we, when it comes to discerning God's will, we, we think we, we, we know the will of God. Like this is the way I should go. Like I got a verse 
and it and it and it spoke to me. I, I received counsel, and the counsel confirmed what was already in my heart, what the desire of my heart, what I'd already been praying about, the passions in my life, and all of that comes together. I know the way I should go, and I start to move confidently in the direction of that way that seemed to be right to me, and there was a crash. Have you ever been there, Christians, where you get, you get where you think this is God's will? You're pretty confident this is God's will. You might be certain this is God's will, and then you begin to walk that plank. And you go out, and, and then, boom, it blows up. It doesn't go the way you thought it was going to go. So, so far, we're just kind of setting the stage. Is everybody with me? This is an interesting situation. This happens to many in their faith and their development, and there are people here now who know what I'm talking about, or you will. And um, the interesting thing is, and we're going to talk about this today, this is kind of a big idea that I'm going to give you later, but I'm going to also give it to you now, so I'll repeat this. But if you want to get it out there now, you can. But everything that looks, feels, and seems like a God thing is not necessarily or always a God thing. That's what we're going to talk about. Because sometimes we get ourselves in trouble, and then we turn back on the only one who can help us get out of that trouble because we thought God said, we thought God showed us, we thought God was going to do this or that because we thought a God thing seemed like, appeared to be, looked like, overwhelming evidence suggested, circumstances unique, uh, clearly communicated was a God thing. And the good news is that even though we struggle with these different things, your heavenly father is a really good communicator. He is the creator of communication. And he wants to clearly communicate his will to you. And he's not a secretive God. He might be discreet, careful, cautious, but he's not secretive. He might hold back something initially from you because the pursuit and the process of that pursuit is perfecting the, the situation. It's help protecting the situation. And so he's not secretive. He's discreet. Does that make sense? He's protective, not restrictive of information. And so... He wants you to know his will for your life, not just in a general sense, but in a very specific and, and personal and profound sense. So today, we're going to look at another not-so-familiar story of David. We've been doing this over and over and over again in the series. I think this is part seven, uh, or six or seven of the series, six that I did, and then Pastor Chris Mendes did another one. And so seven of these messages, none of them have been around like the big dog, you know, David and Goliath. They've all been unique uh, stories that we've been talking about. And David, in this particular story that we're going to talk about, could have made a critical mistake that not only affected the now, the here and now, would have affected the then and, 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 and beyond. It would have affected his legacy if he had made a different decision or a different, um, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a different uh, outcome would have come as a result of that decision. So the story teaches us how to make Great decisions, because he did. Unlike probably what many of us might have done in this situation, David made a great decision, and as a result, it had a great outcome. So David's opportunity here, I submit to you, is our opportunity in a lot of the situations that we're experiencing. Because what happens when we look at a God thing, and then it ends up not being a God thing? What do we do? So we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 24 in your notes, if you're taking notes. Uh, that's the theme text this morning. Let me give you a little context and catch some of you up who haven't been here every single week. But basically what we have is we have, in essence, two kings in one throne. We have one king who, has, who is appointed king, and then we have another king who's anointed king, but we only have one throne. That's what's going on right here. And Saul, David's been anointed. Saul is king. 
David's been anointed by the prophet Samuel. It is imminent that he will become king, but he's a teenager, and Saul's not about to turn over his throne and his legacy to a teenager. In spite of whoever's given him uh, that, that likely outcome, Saul's not for it. He's not for it at all. In fact, um, if it wasn't for a set of unbelievable circumstances that somehow orchestrated by God get David into strategic opportunities where he's in front of certain people in certain situations, um, you know, the thing could have been over. But God did. And, and David finds himself not only employed by the king, but serving the king and the army. And through warfare, he becomes like famous because he always succeeded in battle time and time and time again. And because of that, though, Dave, uh, excuse me, Saul becomes uh, fearful that he's going to lose his kingdom, angry because everybody's celebrating him, and jealous because he's not apparently the chosen one any longer. And so Saul's legacy, Saul's throne is at stake, and Saul knew that God had chosen David, but he lost all perspective. He's no longer focusing on prospering and protecting uh, the country that he's there to serve. He's on an all-out assault of, of, of David and doing everything he can to try to take him out. Is everybody with me? And so the last few weeks of this series, we've been talking about some critical errors that David made. Last week, we talked about David in the hot tub. How many of you here last week? Raise your hand if you're here last week. Okay? So if, if you weren't, great, great message to get because we talk about uh, how to avoid, uh, you know, the mistake. When you have a room with a view, how do you avoid the temptations that are there in our lives? And so fundamentally, the message was about overcoming temptation. And the best way to overcome temptation is by living responsible. In a time and season when kings go off to war, David remained behind. He didn't do what warriors do, and as a result, he fell. Even though he was a strong warrior, he was a wanderer because he didn't do what he was supposed to do. So responsibility keeps you from sin. But then we learn when we sin, responsibility is what gets us back on track. Amen? That was last week. All right? But that was a mistake. Today, we're going to see one of his successes. When he was growing as a leader, he was learning as a leader, he was, he was uh, learning from his mistakes, and he was seeing what God was trying to tell him. And the situation in 1 Samuel 24 is David is being pursued by Saul. 3,000 3, soldiers are pursuing David. And David's got about 400 to 600 bandits on his team. And when you're outnumbered, you know what I mean, it, it, it's not fun. When you, when you, when you know... Uh, the, the ratios, when you know the, the metrics, it can't be fun. And so in 1 Samuel 24, this isn't part, part isn't in your notes, but I'm going to start reading in verse 1. It says, After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, oh, you do have it, that David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Last service I said, that sounded like a, like a really good whiskey, the crags of wild goats. Like it, it, I don't know, that's just how my brain works. I'll have a glass of the crags of wild goats, please. Anyway, he came to the sheep pens along the way, and a cave was there. Now, just remember, you may want to circle, underline that word cave if you don't have, just remember that word cave. We, we camped in a message in the cave, and today we're going to, there's another aspect of the cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. I'll come back to that. And David and his men were far back in the cave. Now, I want you to check this out. This is crazy. This is just an amazing, amazing story. Saul is looking for David. Coincidentally, he goes in to relieve himself in a cave, and David's in there. Is everybody 
starting to get the picture here. Okay, what's going on? So, so first of all, if you're 3,000 men and you are marching to, uh, to En Gedi, you know, to the crags of wild goats, if you're on your way to this location and you're a foot soldier and you have to relieve yourself, let me just tell you, it's, it's just, there's no stopping. You just have to, you have to go on the run. You know what I mean? It's just pistol peat. You just, you just keep on, you just got to go and keep, and you got to do your business while you're going, okay? Because you're just an ordinary foot soldier. But if you're the king and you need to relieve yourself, the whole parade stops, and they make up some excuse, like it's a special meeting. You know, they don't say, oh, the king's on the throne. Like, they don't say that. <laughs> Does everybody get me? Like, there's a hierarchy in this whole thing. So, so if, if, if you're a soldier, it's like, too bad, you know? You just got to, this is in the Bible, ladies, so don't look at me that way. It says Saul had to relieve himself, okay? In the King James, it says he was pursuing. In, in, in modern vernacular, he had to cop a squat. So Saul goes in to cop a squat in the cave. The whole parade stops. They don't know what's going on. He's got a special meeting. He's got to talk to somebody in the cave, blah, blah, blah. And so he goes into this cave, and while he's there, he puts down his sword. He puts down his shield. He takes off his breastplate. And he, he, he disrobes, and he cops a squat in there, and David and his men are in the back of the cave seeing this whole thing. By the way, probably not 400 to 600 men in the cave, okay? Because when you're being pursued by the, I, I can't, I'm speculating, historians speculate on this, but when you're being pursued, you would break up into pieces because you'd be, you'd be more effective in battle if you weren't all together because you could just be crushed all at once. And so ironically, the little group David's with, probably some of his mighty men, his closest warriors are in the back of the one cave that Saul, when he puts his whole army just on pause, Saul goes into that cave. Is that mind-blowing? Like, what are the chances of that? It just so happens that it happens that way. And could anything possibly be, let's just say, more amazing or perfectly orchestrated? Isn't it, in other words, obvious that God is orchestrating these circumstances for this whole thing this whole battle, this whole friction, this whole conflict to be resolved all in just a moment? David could have leveraged this for, his, for himself. But look what happens next. In verse 4, it says this. It says, Then the men said to him, David, this is the day the, the Lord God, the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. They're quoting back to David something he said to them in the past. In essence, have you ever been here before where you're dealing with somebody else and they're wanting to convince you of something? This happens to me all the time. They want to tell me something God's told them. They want to tell me something so that I agree with them. I confirm them. And this, this, this sounds arrogant, but I don't mean to, but, but sometimes people come to me like, like I'm different. And so they want a blessing. They want a blessing. Bless this. And so they'll say, they'll basically, they'll pull out the God card. God told me, God said, God showed me, God told me this, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about on the God card? Don't you hate that sometimes when people do that to you? Because it's, it's basically saying, don't tell me anything that contradicts this trump card. God card, God card, you can't say anything to this. God card, mayday, mayday, God card. So they're basically saying, God, God card, you told us God was going to do this, bro. Here it is. 
He's going to give you your enemy. He's going to put it right in your hands, right in front of you. Simultaneously, well, that's going on. Here's the context that this whole thing is falling on top of. Remember, David has been anointed to be king. Like he, He's like, I'm going to be king. I don't know how I'm going to be king, but I'm going to be king. Is this how I'm going to be king? God card, yes. All right? And then on top of that, Saul has to be dealt with. Saul is a problem. Saul is not protecting his country. He's not preoccupied with the people. He's preoccupied with a person, and he's losing his mind. He's gone loco. He's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. He's, he's literally just completely messed up, and everybody's like, everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. And then on top of that, David had to admit, yeah, God did tell me that. In fact, in the book of Psalms is where this quote is coming from. David records this. God did tell me he was going to deal with my enemies. So my, my question initially is, what would your response be to that? Overwhelming evidence and circumstances. I mean, it has to be a God thing, right? And so on top of that, his men love him. His men would die for them. They're in the back of a cave. It had to be dark. It had, because Saul didn't see them. And, and David basically saying, you know, to them before, I'm going to be vindicated. God's going to do this and God's going to do that. And I think they're whispering in his ear, probably really strong, almost to the point of like exposing themselves. David, David, there's no need for any more bloodshed. There's no need for anybody else to die. We don't have to go to war. We don't have to live in this freaking cave any longer. We're running around with wild goats in the crags. All you got to do is go, look, all you got to do is go up there. It's over. You just go up there and you chop off your enemy's head. You come out of the cave and you say, God has vindicated me. He told me he was going to do that. He's going to give me my enemy. God spoke to me this a long time ago. I've been anointed to be king and today I am. And everybody will say, yep, it's true. It's over. It's over. Wow. Think about that. Could I add anything to circumstances like that? I don't think so. God has seemingly spoken. The counselors closest to him in his life have spoken. The circumstances are screaming what he should do. It's an obvious conclusion. And the opportunity is crystal clear. I mean, what are the odds of this happening? Just so happens the cave on man, he's in. I mean, we do stories like this. We have scenarios like this in our mind, and we paint these pictures all the time. This happens to us in our Christian experience. That's where you and I live a lot of times as Christ followers. Because you and I are making decisions that are based on circumstances and evidence that has aligned itself with our pre-existing prayers and passions. And so we've been praying, and we've been wanting certain things, and then, ooh, there's a circumstance that aligns itself with that. Ooh, there's something that, that lines up with this. Here's evidence. Here's circumstances. And we collect those things, and it's very difficult in those situations to imagine or consider that this could not be the will of God. Is everybody with me on page one? And so when we pray for something, let's make it personal. When we pray for someone, we're pray oh, I'm praying, I'm praying for a godly man. I'm praying for, you know, a, a, a guy that will just treat me right. And then he appears. And you're like, oh, it has to be God. I was just praying about that. I prayed that he'd be handsome. He's handsome. I prayed that, you know, he, he'd love God. Well, he's open. See how we do the compromise right away? What does open mean? Like open like birds can fly in and out of his brain? I mean, that kind of open? Are we talking about... I prayed that, you know, he would have a Bible, and they're the same color. 
the same color bottle. Whatever it is, I prayed, you know, that, that, that God would give me this car. And then he increased my credit limit. <laughs> my capacity is there. It's obvious. My neighbor got the same car across the street that I want. It has to be God. Okay. When we pray for something, and then we, we desire something, and then the evidence and the circumstances, all that lines up. It's really hard to see clearly. It's really hard to let that go and know, is this the will of God for our life? And obviously, I'm making small examples, but these sometimes are big things in our life. Years ago, um, many years ago, before I was the lead pastor of this church, I was in a difficult place inside in terms of what was God's will for Stacy and I in our future. And we were wrestling with, do we stay here in root, or do we go and plant a church? That was a, it was a big part of our life. Because we grew up here. I was pretty, it's pretty much, pretty much the first member of the church here, you know. And um, we had some friction in our life, and we had some, you know, we had some tension in, in certain key relationships and things like that. It was a tough time. It was a tough time. And so... Ironically, my, my mom and I went on a conference together in, to Louisiana. And what's weird about that is we never went on anywhere together like that business-wise, and we haven't since. And, and when I left with her, we were both going to learn some ministry stuff in a big church down in Louisiana. I also was just asking God to speak to me because I was struggling, and Stacey and I were struggling with direction, and we needed direction, and we were asking God. We sort of thought, we believed, we prayed, that we were supposed to plant a church. We actually thought we were supposed to plant a church in North Carolina, believe it or not. That's kind of where we thought we were supposed to go. And, and there were different things that were, that were just out there and we weren't sure about. It. So I go to this conference, and, and uh, as I'm, you know, going through this ministry kind of classes and stuff like that, uh, I go up to ask a question, and this guy, he's like, you know, big, big church. He's, he's probably number three, number four in this church in terms of leadership. And he says, hey, why don't we, why don't we go to lunch? Let's, let's skip the big thing, and I'll take you out to lunch. I thought, oh, wow, that's, that's a big deal. Sure, sure, sure. And so we go out to lunch, and, and we start talking, and I start sharing different things. And he's kind of like, tell me your story. Tell me what's, what's going on in your heart. And, and uh, never mind the ministry. And he wanted to focus on me. I just thought that was uncanny. And then he starts focusing on me. And he's like, you know, kind of what's the desire of your heart? He says, well, I just want to please God. I want to know his will. I'm really not sure if I'm supposed to stay or if I'm supposed to go. And uh, he just chewed on that for a while. And we, we're driving back. I can remember we're driving back. And we park in the parking lot of the church. And he, says, he goes, Derek, I want to pray for you. And he turns to me and he basically just kind of speaks some things over me. He says, you know, the purpose and plan of God is in your heart. I believe that God wants to use you in the local church. And I think that's in, that what's in your heart to do, you should do that. You should, you should go. You should plant a church. Man, I just burst into tears. I just, whoa. I was like, oh, my God, he spoke. Here I am far away of all, what's the likelihood I, you know, get to talk to a guy. And he's a pastor. And he's, you know, and he's got the mind of God, and he sees things I don't see, and, and he took time out with me, and, and he spoke these, a bunch of different stuff that I can't tell you today, but he spoke these different things to me, and it just, it just ministered to me, and I can remember, I couldn't even go to the next session, I went right out, um, picked up my brick phone, cell phone, remember back then when they're like this big, I'm like, honey, honey, 
I'm just kidding. I'm like, honey, I, I just got off the phone. I mean, I just got out of a lunch with this, uh, with this guy, and he spoke this over me, and, and I told the whole situation. I think, I, I think God's boy, I think we're supposed to go. I think we're supposed to do this thing. And she, oh, she starts crying, and I'm crying, and she's crying, and we think it's God's will. And I'm just feeling this, just, just pump up, just be able to release that to her, and I hang up the phone. And after I hang up the phone, this sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach. I just had this sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach. And, and that's where I think David was in the cave. There's this place where you're on this, this line of demarcation between the will of God and someone else's will or your, your personal preferences. And there are things that are there in that place that will cloud your judgment, that will cloud your ability to discern and interpret the circumstances and the will of God for your life. And that, I believe, afternoon in that cave with David had to be so hard. I believe there were some heavy, heavy emotions. I believe there was fear. I believe there was anger. I believe there was, there was uh, resentment floating around in that cave. And while all that is going on, uh, the, the, the guys are telling him that, that he trusted. This is God. This is God. This is God. And, and, and he's thinking, you know what? This man has ruined my reputation. This man has ruined my relationships. He took my job. He took the purpose and plan, the path that I was on, the trajectory I was on to becoming king. He took away my best friend. He took away my wife. Here I am out here in a cave. This guy's the bane of my existence. He should be a father to me, and I should be a son, but he's trying to kill me. And now, in that moment of emotion in that cave, you know, everything is, the, the volume of my emotions are superimposed possibly on the spirit's voice. And the volume of the emotions are saying, kill him, take him out, take your rightful place, avenge yourself. You deserve it. You're the leader. You can restore the country. All you have to do is go up there and kill him. God has arranged these circumstances. Can you not see it, David? And I think what looked like a God thing wasn't necessarily a God thing. And you have situations like that where you've been in a cave and everything's screaming at you in those moments. And we're called as... We're, we're, we're basically spiritual beings having a human experience. Once you know God, something happens inside of you, you realize that you're a soul, and what should have jurisdiction of your soul is your spirit, but you have to learn for the spirit to lead every part of your soul. And that happens in the cave. That happens in the cave. And fortunately, David had learned from matters before, mistakes before, where he's tried to take the situation into his own hands, control into his own hands. One time he tried to, he forgot that God was his weapon and, and the sling and the stone were what God would use through him, his gifts. And he tried to pick up the, the sword of Goliath and, and use the, the, the strength of man and it cost him dearly. A lot of other people died for it. And, and he's, all these things probably flashing through his brain and his spirit in microseconds. It's all happening. And, and he's responding differently because of those experiences. The way you and I must respond when facing and deciphering and determining the will of God. So here's three key observations. Write these down if you're taking notes. This is what I saw in the story. Number one, this had all the makings of the God, a God thing, but an open door is not necessarily an invitation from God. Even though it had all the makings of a God thing, an open door is not necessarily God saying, yes, come in, go for it, do it. 
And that's not necessarily the case. Here's the second observation. When opportunities line up with our prayers and our passions, which, by the way, might be distorted, might be corrupted, might be preferential and not principled. When they line up with our prayers and passions, it's difficult to exercise restraint in those moments. That has to be cultivated and captured someplace else. And the last observation is this. Opportunities must be weighed against, contrasted against something other than the uniqueness of the circumstances that are surrounding them. Is everybody up for the snack? Is everybody paying attention right now? Yes or no? Okay. So, so you have to have a safety net when you're walking that tightrope of the Spirit. When you're, when you're walking by the Spirit, the Bible says in Romans chapter uh, 6, 14, it says those that are the sons and daughters of God are led by the Spirit. You're walking on a tightrope. But listen, a lot of times we're walking on a tightrope, but we have nothing underneath that. What I'm giving you in this message is what's underneath the tightrope that helps you when you fall. It actually, because you know it's there, it'll help you make a better spirit-led decision. Is everybody tracking with me? Okay? So here's what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 4. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off the corner of Saul's robe. <laughs> Imagine, he's back there. He's so close, and it's, the conditions are so unique. He could get right up there, cut that thing out, and Saul not even notice. Saul is buck naked. Copping a squat, people. He could get right up there and do that. And look, I want, you to, I want you to notice the immediate response. Afterward, David's conscience was stricken. In other words, something that looked like a God thing, all of a sudden, when he started to move out in that direction, his emotions, and even a little bit of his actions, all of a sudden, it was like me when I hung up the phone. I'm like, oof. I was stricken in my heart. Like, whoa, that's not God. Whoa, what did I just do? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I had to step back. After cutting off the corner of his robe, he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing. My master, the Lord's anointed. Or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David sharply rebuked his men. We're not going to touch him. We're not going to lay a hand on this man. And Saul, who came in completely vulnerable, could have been taken out without, without any problem, walks out of the cave, safe and sound. Whew, that's just, wow. So David's response what was it that checked him? What was it that reeled him in? How did he do that with such overwhelming circumstantial evidence, with such unique situation? Why didn't he go this way instead he went this way? Here's three things. Write this down. Three things that help you determine the will of God. Number one, the law of God. Everybody say the law of God. So the law of God is the moral will of God. Psalm 119.11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that it might not sin against God. How do you get the word so the word of Christ must dwell in us richly? How do we get it to that place? We have to have daily devotions. We don't succeed in a day. We succeed in the daily. It's what you do daily that will cause you to succeed in the cave moments of your life. And so David had a a grid of the word of God that manifested in that situation. So when his character was tested, it wasn't made there, it was demonstrated there. Whew, I'm having a good time this morning whether everybody else is going to respond or not. Okay, so number two, the law of God. Number two, the principles of God. Here's the safety net for the tightrope of walking, walking and discerning and interpreting the will of God. The principles of God. What's a principle? It's a broad or basic truth. See, have you guys ever read your Bible, or have you ever gone to your Bible and you're looking for chapter and verse on something? 
Like, like, where does it say that in the Bible? Some of you, so, some of you have done that. Well, I don't know about that. Where does it say that in the Bible? Why? Because we want to do what we want to do, so we're looking for something that says we can't do that. You guys know what I'm talking about right there. Don't look at me like I'm the only one that does that. Right? Or we're looking for an answer to something, and it's not crystal clear. We're looking for some, you know, kind of black and white. It's not always like that. So God has principles in the Word of God. You know, I'm going to make a controversial statement because we'll address it at some point, probably in the fall. But where in the Bible does it say you can't smoke marijuana? I love doing stuff like that. It's just like, <laughs> tell us, tell us, tell us. No, you have to come back to church when I do, okay? But so that's what we're looking for. So what does God have in there? He has in his word, sometimes very crystal, crystal clear. He'll, he, usually everything God does is according to a pattern, and, then, and it's based on a principle. So he has these patterns in the Bible. And then from that, we extract principles to apply to everyday life because life's dynamic. If we had to write down black and white, answer to every question, the Bible would be endless. That, that, that just, how many come from a Catholic background? That's why the book of catechism exists because that's the, that's the Catholic answer to the problems that they face. They're just going to try to come, every scenario, they're going to come up with an answer for it. So we're going to have a big book of catechism. Nobody, does anybody remember all those things? No, you don't. So God wants to teach you how to think. He wants to teach you how to be a spirit-led being so that in those situations, you have the law of God, the general law of God, the moral will of God, certain boundaries right there. And then underneath that, he gives you principles that have how you live that life out instead of having a bunch of rules and regs. Does that make sense? This is very helpful. I hope you guys are getting something out of this. So, so the Bible might have in Mark chapter 4, it'll talk about the, the seed, uh, the, the parable of the sower. It'll say, first, you know, it'll say the seed, the, the stock, the head, and then the grain. You're just seeing that there's, there's a process. Now, inside that pattern or process, there are principles inside that. Basically, God's saying there's just, there's like levels and stages and seasons. And you can apply that to a whole bunch of stuff. God always has principles in his word. I'm going to show you a principle in just a second. And then there's the wisdom of God. The third thing is the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. That's how to apply it and, and what do we want it to say. So, so the law in this situation, how did David respond to that situation? He had the law of God at work in him. He's looking at this unbelievable circumstance, this unique circumstance. It's, it's just absolutely unbelievable that he was able to make the right decision, but it was because of the law of God. He's basically like, guys, I hear what you're saying, but don't you know that killing kings is murder? That's against the law. And they're like, yeah, but we're outlaws. Doesn't, that doesn't apply to us. He's like, no, it applies to us because God established authority to also establish the law to be enforced. And he's the law, and we don't kill people who represent the law. We don't kill kings. That's murder. Then, yeah, but what about his character? And what about his behavior? Doesn't matter. It's against the law to kill a king. Everybody's like, quiet, but I don't know if you're just applying this, but hopefully you are. Here's the principle. Here's the principle. And again, this is going to vary for you on your situation and your circumstance. But here's the principle. You don't replace what God put in place. You never replace what God put in place. In fact, if you try to take charge of that situation, if God did it and you try to take it over, then you're going against God. If you're attacking that situation, in essence, you're attacking God. You cannot replace what God actually put in place. And you're like, you know, but he's our enemy. I understand that. But God's going to deal with my enemy. He promised he would deal with my enemy. He didn't say, I deal with my enemy. He said, I will deal with your enemy. 
They were misinterpreting God's will to what they thought he was saying, not what he actually said. But the principle protected David. The law protected David. And then wisdom. What, what, what do you, you want to, in other words, kind of what do you want to see happen? What do you want to look back on once, one day? What is the wise thing to do in light of the future that God has showed me, in light of the plan that God has showed me, in light of the dream that God has put in my heart. What's the wise thing to do? David knew that one day he was going to have he was he was going to have family that's going to grow up and they're going to look at the situation and they're going to say, you know, he didn't want his son to come up to him and say, "Hey dad, man, you're the bravest king in the whole world. I remember how you became king that one day when the king came into the cave back to in the pitch black and he was copping a squat and then you're so brave while he's grabbing toilet paper, you just so bravely went up there and swiped his head off. Good job, Dad. That he knew that's not the story that he wanted to tell to somebody else. Is everybody with me? David knew that kings who become kings by killing kings are going to have another king who kill them. So it, was, it wasn't the wise thing. It wasn't the principled thing. It wasn't the right thing to do before God. And so he wouldn't manipulate God. He wouldn't control those circumstances. He didn't want to look back and say, wisdom says, do you want murder on your track record? No. So men, we're not going to touch him. It violates the law. It violates the principles of God that got me here in the first place. And it's just not the wise thing to do. I'm not going to do it. Isn't that amazing that he could do that in that situation? So some of you, you're on the verge of big decisions. Some of you will have a big decision. Some of you made some decisions before, and this wasn't the safety net that was underneath you. And so you go to people, and you've got a case, and you've got a, you've got a situation, and you just think it has to be God. See, God, your heavenly Father, has not called upon you to interpret and discern and make decisions based on your ability to interpret or discern by yourself. He didn't do it like that. He's given us his law. He's given us principles. He's given us wisdom. So when I came back from that trip, I sat with my wife and I said, honey, we need to talk. And, and, and I said, you know the conversation we had? And, man, it was pretty amped. And we were pumped up. And, 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 I, just, and I just said, I got to talk to you. And she goes, I know. We're not going to go. I was like, come again? She says, I know. She says, we're not going to go. I said, yeah. I said, I prayed about it. And I said, God spoke to me. And he said, unless, unless, at the time we were called Metro West Worship Center, unless Metro West Worship Center pulls away from you, you're not pulling away from her. Unless Metro West Worship Center divorces you, you're, you're in covenant with her. And you'll be blessed if you stay. She says, I know, I know. And, and as soon as I made that decision, like the lights came on, everything began to change, everything looked different. And, and I started seeing these these, I didn't know it at the time like I do today, but I started seeing some things that I didn't see before. In other words, the Bible, I had some friction in the family. Maybe I was running from that. I didn't see it. The Bible's telling me to not only be reconciled to God, but be reconciled one to another. The Bible's telling me in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, if it's possible, Derek, you do everything you can to live peaceably, as far as it depends on you. Have you done that? No, sir, I haven't. Then I want you to do that. That's the, that's the law of God. And then I looked at kind of the, the principle of it all, and I realized, you know, God rarely chooses the course of least resistance for me. He rarely 
He rarely makes it just kind of the easy way to success. In other words, you think you're just going to go down to North Carolina and you're just going to build a church and it's just going to blow up and everything's just going to go great. Like, come on, Derek. I'm not interested in your comfort. I'm interested in growing you. And you know what? There are so many lessons that almost immediately I began to see that I needed to learn. And then over time, I had to learn. And later he started speaking things to me, and I wish it was earlier, but it was later, but I get now why it was later. And he basically told me, you're going to go further faster, Derek, if you wait longer. And I am so glad I stayed and that I'm your pastor, because if I had not, if I tried to discern and interpret the will of God based on circumstances, where would I be? Where would I be? I don't even know if I'd be in ministry today, because I probably wouldn't have learned some of the lessons that I learned, because I stayed right here where I was supposed to be. And it was the wise thing to do. Because I didn't want to tell my son or my children one day, you know, I just said this and said that. But underneath that, they're like, yeah, you, know, ran, you ran from responsibility. You ran from pain. You ran from some problems. You ran because you didn't want to be under the old man. And you didn't want to be in the shadow of this. And you didn't want to have to do that. And you didn't want to do this. And, I, and, and it would all have been a farce. I didn't want to have to say that. I want to be able to say to my son, I stayed. Look what happened. Look what, look what, look, look what, look what. All y'all inherit because people don't just quit and leave and pack up and go. And I'm not saying that's for everybody, but some people have to, have to make transitions because of free will agency and you can't control everything. But, but the part that I could play, I need to play a part in that. Amen? So I believe deep in your heart, you want to do the, the will of God. You want to do God's will, but you need a decision-making process. Write these three questions down as I conclude. You just basically get asked these three questions. Does this option... This opportunity violate God's law. Does this option, this opportunity violate God's law? Like we do this in relationships people all the time. We do this in finances people all the time. It's amazing. We do this with big decisions all the time. Oh, you know what I mean? I, I don't know. I think, I think she's the one. I think she's the one. And then I want to be like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, he really loves me. Okay. Awesome. That's great. He really loves you. How come you even talking about love? You've only been dating about a month. It's going to get hot in here. <laughs> See, when I, when I look at love, I was just telling my, my, my assistant this just, just today. When I look at love, it's a triangle, right? I, I learned this years ago in Christian counseling. But basically, you've got commitment, the foundation of love. You've got the physical, the expression of love. And you've got the emotional, how we connect to find love. But what happens in the world today is people are coming in through the physical. Then they make an emotional connection. And then they hope for a commitment. You don't have to use the Bible to know that doesn't work very good. But God wants you to come in through an emotional, relational connection. And then determine to make a commitment. And then experience all the benefits and the joys through the physical. And so some people are like, oh, you know, I think God's, he's the one, he's the one, he's the one. Because we have good chemistry. Oh, we connect so well here in this lane. And then it blows up. And they wonder why it blows up. It's because you're violating, you're violating the law of God. You're violating a principle of God that there's stages and levels to relationship. You don't, just, you don't just open up to intimacy. You don't just give the keys to the car. My, my, when I turned 16 years old, I had to go through testing and I had to go through school and all kinds of stuff before I could drive a car. But then I had to face my parents. And I can remember them dangling the keys right in front of me. And I was like, yes. And they're like, no. <laughs> Not until we talk for a little bit. Because, because there's, there's a process. There's levels of responsibility. We'll see how today goes. I don't care if you have a license. I don't care if you're capable. 
We'll see if your character is responsible. We'll see how this weekend goes to determine whether you get the keys back the next weekend. Does that make sense? But we give the keys away to our heart. We give the keys away to our life. And then we wonder why it goes wrong. And then we turn to God and go, hey, I thought you said, I thought you said. Is it because you're violating the safety net for the spirit-led life that we're walking because we're not following the law of God, the principles of God? And frankly, it's just not wise to do that. Does that make sense? You can apply, I'm just trying to give you an example, how many places you can apply this. So does this option of violate the, the God's law? Does it violate a principle? You've got to look for the principle. That's part of the Christian experience is learning how to see the principles of God from the patterns of God in his word. And then is this the wise thing to do? I mean, think about this regarding my future. And again, none of this, if you're a long-standing Christian, in particular, if you're spirit-filled, if you know what I mean. This doesn't mean that whatever you're interpreting in the circumstances, okay, so that means if the circumstances are saying go right, I'm going to go left now. That's not what I'm saying. If counsel is saying this is the way you should go, I'm not saying ignore that counsel. If the Holy Spirit is leading you, I'm not saying ignore that. I'm just saying this is the protective grid that makes sure the, there's banks to all your passion to the river of your soul. You have all this passion and emotion. It puts banks to that and keeps you on the straight and narrow path. Does that make sense to everybody out there? Amen? You get something out of this, everybody? I hope I'm generating some thoughts. All right, stand on your feet. I want to pray for you as we conclude. <laughs> as you're standing, the Bible says in verse 8, David went out of the cave and called out to Saul. He said, my Lord, the king, he honored him and acknowledged him in spite of his behavior because he was anointed of God. And in verse 11 and 12, it says, he says to the king, while he's standing out of the front of the cave, now he's passed the test. Now he's out in front of the cave and he says, see, there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. David was vindicated. David didn't have to avenge himself. God promoted him. And you need to know something. God is the one who's going to promote the will of God in your life. When you don't take the wheel, you try to control the situation or manipulate the circumstances to what you want or how you want it. When you surrender that to God's law, when you surrender that and submit to God's principles, when you endeavor to do the wise thing, God will bless that and honor that. And he did, like he did in David's life, he'll do the same thing for you. Because everything that looks like a God thing isn't always a God thing. And the most direct route to the will of God is rarely, is rarely the fastest one or the best one. God wants to do something great in your life. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to pray for you. I venture to say there are people in this room who have to make some big decisions. Big decisions. If you're in a situation in your life right now and you know there's some big decisions presently or coming, I just want you to acknowledge that by raising your hand. Just let me know it's relevant. Go ahead, raise your hand. Wow, wow. Wow. Okay, you can put your hands down. That's awesome. Wow. And then I want to talk to the second group. There's a group of you that in order to know the will of God, you have to first know God. You have to know God. There's, there's a scripture in 1 Timothy that says there's one mediator between God and man, and that person is Jesus. So for you to get connected to God's will, you first have to get connected to God's Son. And you might be coming to church week after week after week, and you think, 
Well, I am. I come to church every week. Well, I am. I, I believe in God. I, 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 you might, listen, sir, man, boy, or girl, you might believe Jesus is the Son of God in your head. You might believe Jesus died for your sins in your head. You might believe Jesus rose from the dead in your head. But until you believe it in your heart and confess it with your mouth, I'm just telling you according to his word, you don't necessarily know God. And so I want to give you that opportunity today. I want to give you that opportunity today. I'm not embarrassed anybody. I'm not going to call anybody down front. Literally just right there in your seat. You're going to get an opportunity in just a couple seconds to say yes to God by raising your hand, and then I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If you are not absolutely confident that you know God and God knows you, this is your greatest chance to do that. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand good and high right now. Say, that's me. I want to make sure. Good, 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 good. Good, good and high. Don't miss it. All over the room. All over the room. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Three, four on this side. Five on this side. Keep it up so I don't miss it. Six, thank you. Seven, thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Eight, nine, thank you. That's awesome. That's awesome. God bless you. You can put your hands down. So I want to pray for that second group, and I'd like the whole church to join me. Would you do that with me? Would you just say this? Everybody that raised your hand and everybody else, say, Jesus, I invite you into my life today. I no longer just believe it in my head. I believe it in my heart, and I confess it with my mouth. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. He died. He rose on the third day. I believe He is who He says He was. And I believe He's changing me right now from the inside out. Through Jesus, I can have relationship with God and find the will of God for my life. Now, Father, for every other person that needed prayer, I pray that they would apply these lenses to their life, that they would live the law of God. They're not go out of here and just be like, oh, yeah, that was a great message, that was a great message. No, I'm going to ask these questions. Does this, does this option, does this opportunity in any way violate God's word? Does this option, this opportunity in any way violate a principle? Of God? What is the principle? God, show me the principle. Does this option in any way not the wise thing to do? God, I pray that you help them to use this and apply this to their Christian experience. Save them from ungodly mistakes. Save them from detours and exits and distractions and get them on that straight and narrow path that you have for them so they can find the blessing and purpose of God in their life. In Jesus' name. And all God's church said, amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap for his word and his ways applied to our life. Amen. Thank you, guys. God bless you.